Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, we're number one, we're number one. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and I'm joined by a man who claims the only way to avoid the increasing food prices is to eat as much as possible right now. My co-host, Simon Maddox. How are you doing, Simon? I'm doing all right, I'm doing all right. Are you eating? Eating I, food? I'm just eating food. Uh that's that's my plan and i'm sticking to it i've already put on quite a bit of weight through the whole lockdown procedure mm. and it just seems if i just piled on a load now that i'm good for the next few weeks and i can avoid this this peak <laughs> of high prices in the supermarket and uh, yeah do a really sort of weird austerity diet i've been looking at the food price i've been trying to track it and like my shopping's definitely got about 15 euros more expensive but um, in fairness, last week I bought a crate of beer, so that kind of knocks everything on its head. Which is 15 euros. <laughs> yeah, I mean, surprisingly, it was 17 euros. I, 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 had, uh, I, I took the bottles back from the last one. Uh, oh, no, lad. But I think in, even if I'm not buying beer, it's about 15, 15 euros more expensive for, for a lot of things. It is beginning to bite. It's no, uh, it's no laughing matter. But at the same time, this is a podcast about laughter, so we've got to find something yep. to joke about. So <laughs> how about your, uh, your favourite megalomaniacal cartoon villain elon musk he's uh back in the news he's set twitter on fire he, he's he's not just back in the news he is the news from here on he's always right? the fucking news he is going to be the source of it all uh so we get so, to so, yeah. suckle at the teat of musk's twitter <laughs> oh god what an image <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Elon Musk is buying Twitter for, what is it, 44 billion. Jack Dorsey, the former CEO, mm -hmm. is saying how great that is. He's oh, sure he Elon is. Musk. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's going he's he's, he's gonna to make some like 948 million out of the deal yeah. from his 2.5% stake. So um, more power to him. What I find hilarious, right, is on Twitter, everyone's talking about it. Mm -hmm. In the British media, everyone's talking about it. American media, everyone's talking about it. German media, nothing. Like, it's like the... 10th news story it's best barely i mean maybe it's bill zeitung but i don't look at bill zeitung but i mean musk is basically very far down the uh the sort of pecking order and twitter itself there's only five million german twitter users so it's not it's not really the most important story in germany at the moment do you think it might be that because he's not actually producing any teslas in berlin yet they still like view him like as a startup <laughs> he's not he's not an actual <laughs> business owner just yet uh, so they're not taking him seriously yet. No, it's because he got all his qualifications in South Africa and Germany yeah. doesn't recognize them. So they don't really <laughs> see him as anything other than like some guy um, who happened to open a factory who uh, who may or may not be illegitimate. I think the thing with it, the thing that gets me, I saw this. There's a German director. She's the woman who directed Green Street. Okay. Yeah, I can't remember her name, but yeah. I can't remember her name. And she was like, oh, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm I'm going to go to Instagram. And I was like, right, so you go to Facebook then. All right, no. your ethics are totally fine. <laughs> I was just like, stop. I mean, people throw around the term virtue signaling. And, and, and I'm just like, well, if you if you want to quit, quit, fine. But let's not make a big song and dance about it. Eh? If you're just going to leave, leave. But yeah, but that's not how attention-seeking on these platforms go, is it really? I'm in an interesting position on this because... I, the only reason I have a Twitter account is because of this podcast. <laughs> it's because of me. Before, Exactly. Before <laughs> that, I never went on Twitter, ever. And I was happy. Uh, the world seemed fine. The interesting thing about it is because I am the podcast, like I'm an entity as opposed to a person, mm. and I'm never going to be involved enough to be like a blue tick uh, establishment like your good self uh, Nick. am i an establishment now am i a no if you got the tick <laughs> equals establishment 
um deep state i think is what other people might say (laughs) (laughs) but because of that like it it makes me check myself because there have been so many times especially at the start when i was looking at brexit articles and just getting stressed out and i'd see an incendiary comment and my first instinct was i'm not going to let that slide and then i'd be like i can't because i'm a podcast about germany even if i do win the argument someone's going to be like well you're not a real Mm -hmm. person you're just a podcast but it stopped me getting involved in twitter in the same way so i'm very thankful like i don't i don't really care but obviously it is really sad when you think about what he could have done with 44 billion dollars oh yeah pounds, euros whatever it is and yeah like he's got a bit of a history of saying that he would do things and then kind of like negating on the delivery of them like didn't he challenge i don't know if it was the world bank or unicef or someone he said if you i'll give you six billion dollars if you give me a plan on how to fix world hunger it was the un i think the un that was it sorry thank you it was the un and they gave him an outline of their plan and he just didn't give them the money <laughs> It's no, like, okay. Yeah, he said he would get clean water for everyone in Flint, Michigan. Hmm. And he gave some water filters to 12 schools, I think it was in the end. I'm wary of predicting the future, but I do suspect that not a lot will change. I don't think Donald Trump's coming back. I think, despite his, like, I'm a free speech advocate, I don't think he wants to be connected with a platform that's full of virulent racists and xenophobes and shit like that. That Trump or Musk doesn't want to be attached to racists. Oh, well, Trump loves a racist, <laughs> okay. right? And I think, you see the people who support Musk, his his supporters come from across the political spectrum, but it's the way that he's kind of become sort of all things to all men. He's like, he's like, whatever you think he is, he is, you know? And ultimately, he's just a really, really rich guy who doesn't really do anything particularly practical with his wealth, except sort of dance on stages and open factories and fire rockets into space, which he claims will save us all for some reason. I think ultimately we're just living in an era where, and we've talked about this multiple times, really rich people just do do what they want. Yeah. <laughs> ultimately. There was someone who posted something about, oh, he's going to buy Amazon next. And I'm like, well, no, he's clearly not going to do that, you moron. You know, I think there's a lot of like expectation that he's some kind of demigod but uh, he's just a really rich guy yeah i mean this is a a similar tactic to what the rockefellers did back in the day they just bought newspapers and he's just got the opportunity to buy the modern equivalent of it Mm. there is a part of me that finds like the whole thing a little bit appealing because like have you seen photos of his mum no oh does it that she oh it feels like i'm i'm shaming her but doesn't she have like a reputation for basically looking like cruella Deville? she's got that vibe for mm. sure like if you were casting for a science fiction film like a an intimidating matriarch or like matrix 5 whenever they do that like she has that look she's got that vibe and when you see the family pictures they do have a sort of yeah it's sort of a movie set up like it looks like the the pitch but something is about to happen. Um, it's, it's weird. It's a weird family. I do find it a little bit fascinating. But everything I see him say or do, it's like, eh. Yeah. I think anyone who goes and becomes like so supremely wealthy and he's kind of, he doesn't keep his mouth shut and he talks about things and comments on things and he is a little bit, he's a bit geeky and a bit weird and a bit off the radar sometimes. And I think that's that's appealing to people and, and, and it obviously then appeals to like, how did he get this way? And uh, I'm I'm not here to use any sort of cod psychology on him. I don't know enough about his background. What I do know though is once Apple started calling the, their employees geniuses, it sort of lowered the tone for that word. And I think he's he's often people go, oh, he's a genius. He's a genius. He made he's made a lot of money. He hasn't really he hasn't like invented anything. It's not like old school genius. He's not 
Alexander Graham Bell or something, you know, or like George Stevenson or something. He's not actually invented anything. He's just invested and made a lot of money, which is a different kind of intelligence for sure. But I do dislike this like sort of narrative of he's here to save us all. I, I just find that a little bit strange. I just find lauding incredibly wealthy people a very odd kind of thing. I suppose I suppose we lord fo- footballers, don't we? But like we're not lauding them because of their wealth. Like, I like footballers because they play football. The, the profile of the richest people on the planet has changed so dramatically recently. And if you look at the top five or six, like you've got Musk, Bezos, uh, Bill Gates, Larry Page, Sergey Brin, like all in the top ten. Mm. I mean, I don't want to nerd shame or like geek shame or anything like that. Like respect to that character but i mean these are people that in many ways aren't essentially particularly cool and you see him you see them all trying really hard to be cool like musk on rogan was like the ultimate expression of someone trying their hardest to be liked by the cool kid and this is tragic i mean like warren buffett also isn't cool but he you could put him in a room and he wouldn't be awkward like warren buffett knows how to talk to Mm -hmm. people but when you see Zuckerberg like trying to communicate with people or Musk mm. as well, like it's always a bit like there's there's a misbalance in understanding. Have you read um, John Ronson's The Psychopath Test? Can't say that I have no. Right, John Ronson's great journalist, fantastic writer. Love his work; he's really really interesting. There's a psychological manual. I forget the name of it. At the back of it, it has this, the Psychopath Test, which is like a checklist where they ask you questions about your sort of state of mind. And if you score very highly, then it's 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 believed to indicate that you may well be a psychopath. And so he becomes sort of fascinated with this test and how it was developed and and how it's been used to imprison people for decades. And there's there's one instance where he goes to meet this corporate raider who's famous for like sacking people in really horribly elaborate ways. And he interviews him, but he gets the interview by saying, oh, I think you might have this like really interesting genetic trait that means that you're really good at business. And he gets the interview and then he basically explains to him like what the psychopath test is. And then he sort of asks him questions and the best bits where he asks him about like, do you have an overinflated sense of your own grandeur? And he looks up from the list and the guy's standing in front of a painting of himself. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, but what he comes to the conclusion, the conclusion he comes to essentially at the end is that, um, a lot of uh, CEOs of companies might well be psychopaths, and I think a lot of people use that as a as a stick to be CEOs. And whether they're psychopathic or not, I, I don't know. But I think people like Musk, Bezos, Zuckerberg are they're awkward, weird, and and strange when you mm. when you sort of see them interviewed. They don't seem like cool and relaxed. They always seem a little bit on edge. And they do seem uncomfortable. And, and clearly they're all very intelligent guys. But I think that intelligence also belies some kind of awkward social issues, perhaps. But and then I don't think you can be a billionaire and be normal. Circa Rishi Sunak, Chancellor of the Exchequer of Britain. <laughs> so if, if you had to be locked in the pub for an afternoon with one of them, Musk, Bezos or Zuckerberg, which one would you choose? I would choose, I'd probably choose Musk because I find Bezos is... If the only evidence that the world was controlled by lizards and the only evidence you had was a photo of Jeff Bezos, I'd be like, <laughs> all right, there's a fucking good chance, right? Zuckerberg, <laughs> Zuckerberg just seems like, he just seems really odd. I wouldn't feel comfortable. I just, I don't feel comfortable watching him giving a keynote yeah. speech, uh, let alone anything else. At least I guess with Musk, I think he could probably have a couple of beers 
and be or not all right. I think you'd still be an asshole, but I think I think and like it would be an interesting. I think it would be an interesting thing. I think I think the other two would probably be just really uncomfortable and weird. But Musk would be entertainingly uncomfortable and weird. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to be locked in a fucking pub with any of them. <laughs> Can I get locked in on my own? If I got locked in a pub with any of them, I might just get myself locked in the toilets. <laughs> Fair enough. What about you? Um, yeah, it'd have to be a mask, wouldn't it, really? For all the reasons you say. I'm sure I'd be annoyed at the end of it, either being talked at or just some of the wild concepts that would come up along the way. But yeah, he, you can have a conversation with them compared to the others, it seems. But uh it sounds like a living nightmare. <laughs> so <laughs> That's... I'm good. It's not going to happen. We're fine. I fucking hope not. We're safe. Elon's not going to get us. <laughs> We've talked before about how we both have taught English uh, as a job here in Germany. We both did Celters, I believe. Did you do a Celter, Nick? No, I did te- uh, Tefl because I'm a loser and I don't Is, have the skills don't to have get a Celter. Celter. No, I don't wow. have a Celter. Okay. Well, it turns it. out I'm the brains of this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Who fucking knew that? Yeah. Yeah. Just a BA and a Celta, but that's two against your masters. <laughs> Why is it always a competition with you, Simon? Because <laughs> I'm English and I'm <laughs> addicted to class. Fair enough. Yeah, I can't help it. But of course, there are lots of different ways to get into this. And it is a career that a lot of people do straight after school or university because it allowed, we'll say, allowed an opportunity to travel the world easily, work almost anywhere you go. And there's also a lot of people that do do this change late in life, or not late in life, but after being working for 20 years or something, they think I want to do something that's different. But I had the weirdest collection of people on my shelter with me. One guy whose side hustle was being a Prince Charles impersonator. And oh, wow. He was also a masseuse. <laughs> Imagine going in with your massage and seeing him, and you're like, yeah. what the actual fuck <laughs> and going on here? the man had no off button. Uh, so, yeah, it would have been a, a treat, I'm sure, for anyone that got to meet him <laughs> along the way. I wonder what he's doing now quite often. But, yeah, anyway, of course, this industry it is a massive industry of teaching English as a foreign language. It has a lot of jobs in the mm-hmm. UK, and it's where I started. Uh, my After doing my seltzer, I worked for a German pair of brothers who one of them lived in the UK and ran the school and the other one sourced students from Germany. And yeah, that was my first time in a classroom standing in front of 30, 15, 16 year old Germans who just wanted to smoke cigarettes, drink alcohol and play football outside and have no interest whatsoever in learning grammar or anything now this industry is completely on its knees now in the uk lots of schools of course want to send their children to england to learn english because where better to learn it brexit has made this whole deal a lot more complicated and there's a lot more red tape the pandemic of course has not helped at all but this multi-billion dollar industry is pretty much screwed an article in the guardian titled Forty Thousand jobs at risk as foreign pupils shun uk language schools uh, and it suggests or at least it states that there's been an 80 percent drop in revenue across the industry until 2021 more than 1.5 million children came to the uk each year to study english or on organized school trips accounting for about 11 percent of the total annual tourism earnings that's a lot of money 11 percent my god yeah. i mean the industry currently is valued at around 3.2 billion as you said billions of pounds it's interesting actually I, uh, last week i had some exams and i was speaking to a gymnasium teacher and he said to me that um he's taking kids over i think this week or next week okay. to britain to one of these nondescript towns in the sort of south coast mm-hmm. of england that 
seem to be the hubs for the this industry they go and stay with a host family and learn english in a english-speaking environment and he'd said the prices had gone up by about 100 uh, euros or 150 euros for each each student so uh, just just costs wise and yeah i think it's it's turning a lot of people off and he even he said if the choice next year is to go to britain or go to malta mm-hmm. I think we'll all go to Malta, you know, and Malta's again another very popular destination for for language learning, so certainly for English language yeah. learning. It's it's another one of these things that's happened because of Brexit and it was totally unnecessary. Yeah. It's like look at this industry that we destroyed. <laughs> it's so it's so stupid. But you said I mean you said you you were teaching teaching these kids. Yeah, so I started in Bournemouth, which is another sleepy coastal town in the south i mean bournemouth's one of the more successful cities on the south coast of england but yeah there's a lot of these towns like eastbourne hastings i mean brighton to a lesser degree like they've all got a load of language schools i mean hastings is not a big town but it's got 20 language schools like the amount of revenue that 20 language schools bring in to local restaurants local arcades local tourist attractions everything like feeds off this this industry there aren't alternatives like readily available in the uk you can't just go okay we'll just go to yeah northern ireland or wales to do this like the whole south coast was reliant on this industry and it's, it's really a nightmare for tour operators schools in the region it's just it's just bad and i mean when i first started teaching i taught kids from everywhere it was a really really interesting period where i'd have a group of 15 and there'd be 13 different nationalities in the room and that was really really cool and a really great way to learn how to teach um, and very different from what i've done for the last 10 years in germany where i would guess like two percent of my students have been from a non-german speaking background it teaches kids a lot apart from just english it, it shows them all these different cultures all these different mentalities they get to meet people who they bond with because it is quite scary going off to England to learn English when you're 16, 17, 18 and live with a host family. And these host families are also, they're going to suffer from this. There are a lot of host families we used. They don't make a lot of money. I guess if you're relatively kind with the food that you'll share with the kids, you could probably make about 50 quid a week, which if you're hard up, like that makes a massive difference. That's your shopping. That's your food. Fifty quid a month can be 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 enough for in a lot of situations. And yeah, these these families are going to really really notice that difference now. It's a shame. There's real truth in that um, skimping on the food thing. I think a lot of perceptions of of British food come from these exchange mm-hmm. trips where people stay with families and they're they're serving them fish fingers and baked beans and chips every night. Uh, I've certainly heard stories like that. But I find it interesting as well, not just because of the cost, like I said, I mean, the article quotes um, the, the cost going up from sort of 450 euros per child to uh, 550 euros per child. Uh, but the other thing it points out is that most German people, or rather not all German people, have passports, and about 15% of school children in Germany are nationals of other countries. And I hadn't realized until I was actually traveling that with your ID card, you can travel within the EU. I don't need Mm -hmm. a passport if I want to go to the Netherlands or France with my ID card. But now with Brexit, I'll have to get a passport if I want to, if I want to travel to a third country. Mm -hmm. And it's just another cost. Like, and, and if you're thinking about for some of these, for some of these trips, there's a lot of pressure for parents to do them because they see it as a real advantage Mm -hmm. to kids. 
socially but also linguistically there's a lot of pressure on parents to pay for them to to send their kids again it's that thing of keeping up with the joneses or what other kids you don't want your kid to be left out really like i know that just with my daughter like and she's not even doing anything (laughs) particularly expensive but like when she when other kids are in the play park and she just stares at them and wants to play with them but doesn't really know how to interact because they're all older like it you feel it in your gut you're like you just want to do something you want to pick her up and just go like throw her in there and just go oh, that's how you do it but like she can't really communicate they're all a bit older it's understandable but as they get older you just want the best for your kids don't you and to then be sort of priced out of it because of essentially no real reason at all just just sort of blind ignorance essentially uh, that's destroyed another really useful soft power mm-hmm element absolutely you know like how are you spreading british culture well you, you're teaching kids straight away about like maybe you're not it's not all positive but it's it gives people an understanding that they might have a great experience and have a really good feeling about britain and that'll continue for the rest of their lives it might lead to other holidays in the future it might lead to their kids being the kids of these children being sent to these language schools and now where might they go they might yeah go to Malta. go to go to another country netherlands i've seen being an alternative exactly, as well yeah. like we, we we're it's literally like, losing a, out in the race to teach our own language uh, to the dutch mm-hmm. this is it's random mm-hmm. you talk about how it could be a really positive connection i totally agree with that and i've got a lot of people who i'm still in touch with over 10 years later who had the time of their lives in bournemouth whilst i was teaching there like yeah if you have two weeks in the uk where your only obligation is to go to like five hours of english lessons if the weather's good and you're old enough to drink, like you can genuinely have like one of the best two weeks of your of your young life. Mm. If it's raining the whole time, yeah, it's gonna be a bit shit if you're stuck in Hastings. But yeah, yeah. sunny Hastings is beautiful. It's a lovely part of the world. And there's no accident that it's all like South English accents being the advertised thing. Like that's what mm. a lot of nationalities think. Yeah, BBC English, we wanna I wanna talk, talk like the Queen and stuff. That cultural, as you say, soft power. Is really key. I mean, that's the other other thing, no? Like, parents today, would you really want to send your kid to the UK at the moment if they're young and, like, a little bit vulnerable when you know there's, like, an anti-EU sentiment? Like, when you know they voted to leave, it's not a welcoming place for European citizens in the same way as it was 10 years ago. Well, I think it's perception, isn't Mm. it? I think in these places... It's probably not that bad, but we've heard horror stories. We've heard about uh, German kids being bullied by British kids because two world wars and one World Cup, all of that jazz. And kids, kids could be horrible for for sure. But I think it's the perception more than anything else mm-hmm. of of it being a uh, yes, sort of going backwards, perhaps being unwelcoming to foreign kids, you know. And and, and that's that's a key a key issue too, and a key consideration for parents what i would find interesting to know is with the pandemic slowly phasing out i don't know what it is we still have it but it's being ignored by the majority of european governments when travel returns to normal and people can travel more freely will we see the same issue with uh, eu tourists certainly german tourists going to cornwall for instance mm-hmm. they love cornwall it's the rosman pilger mm-hmm. books it's all of that jazz and uh, cornwall is also advertised in at least around augsburg as a place where you can go and and learn english for adults so there's another part to this as well we're going to see less sort of t- tourism from germany because of that i, I, I couldn't possibly tell but i have a suspicion it, it probably will be less and it's no surprise as well the tele you see the telegraph are running the 
the headline that Britain is the greatest holiday destination in the world. Is that just because they know a lot of Brits can't go away because their passports can't be processed in time? So they're just selling a home home vacation at the moment. I think there's a little bit of that. Honestly, I do. I think, but I mean, you, you, I'm sick of fucking hearing how great <laughs> everything in Britain's great. Everything they do is great. Every it's world beating, and as soon as I hear somebody going, "Oh, it's the greatest destination," I'm like. What like compared to <laughs> Machu Picchu? Is that what you're telling us? Is it better than is it better than the Eiffel Tower? Is it better than Florence? Like is it better than Prague? If if your dream destination is an English speaking place where they have like a Tesco's nearby, then yeah, England is one hundred percent dream destination. Fantastic place to go on holiday. I'd go I go on holiday mm. to Britain. Like that's where I go on holiday the <laughs> most, right? If I go away. Like I love Britain, but I just, it's this incessant need to say everything's great. And this example of the language school suggests, you know what? Not everything's as great as they say this. Well, I mean, to come back to the headline, 40,000 jobs are at risk here. And these are 40,000 jobs where a lot of the people will either be new in the industry mm-hmm. or won't have a steady side income. Like this will be their main, main bread and butter. Yeah. And English teaching as a job is already seasonal to a certain degree because most kids come in the summer so that's already one issue you've got to get around and then a lot of time is zero hour contracts as well like this is not a safe reliable income to have as a teacher and if you're middle-aged and can afford it fine but i i'm sure 95 percent of these forty thousand are going to be looking for something different mm-hmm. and that's a real shame because teaching is a wonderful thing to do mm-hmm. for money. It's great. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing to do for money. Not for the love of inspiring young minds. No, of course, I'm, I'm taking the piss. But, I mean, it does beg the question, are we uh, are we a dying breed, you and I, Simon? British-speaking language teachers. I mean, I think there's a reason we started this podcast. <laughs> this <was> like <laughs> plan B evacuation. We'll see what happens. Oh, we just need, we need Alan Sam to give us more money. <laughs> I mean, there's Help always us. going to be a demand, I think, for as long as we're working for people like us, like native communication trainer type things. Like where we are in Germany, there's going to be jobs because CEOs are going to want in-person teaching. But the pool of available people is going to get smaller and smaller. And a lot more companies that have been our, or, yeah, they've been our bread and butter for a decade here. They're going to shift to online training. AI training is going to become more and more common. It's going to be cheaper for the students to participate in. They'll get what they need. Tick a box. English training has been done. You have been developed. And then I think that's going to be it. Um, so yeah, I think we are a dying breed, but I think we, we won't see extinction in our lifetimes, which is probably the best case scenario <laughs> well just not career extinction yeah. but possibly yeah we possibly might see else. we might see extinction yeah that's true <laughs> look in the sky for meteors <laughs> <laughs> okay so in the intro you'll have noticed that i declared that we are number one and then didn't actually explain what the hell i was talking about this was a reference to a recent arg- article in spiegel.de that is titled Gross Britannians Dixter's Problem which is uh, discussing the issue of unhealthy Britain essentially and that 
Britain is one of the um, most overweight countries in Europe, if not if not the world at this point. And it goes into a lot of detail about, yeah, it's quite a very long article that gives a lot of statistics about the National Health Service sounding the alarm, especially during the pandemic, as the proportion of obese, uh, it says first graders, but like first year school kids, skyrocketed from 999 to an unprecedented 14.4%. And that means one in seven five-year-olds starts life with a burden they may never get rid of. And it talks about what I found really interesting is usually these articles will sort of go, here's a problem with England, point, haha, look at that, they're not doing it right. This is actually a very different article in that it goes into the socioeconomic issues and it points out that if you're poor in Britain, you're more likely to eat poorly because of the quality of food is that is available to you especially during the the this cost of living crisis that's erupted under um, boris johnson's leadership it talks about different areas different backgrounds as well it talks about uh, wolverhampton an area that has seen through the sort of 50s 60s and 70s um, a lot of migration from um, India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, things like that. Uh, mostly India, though, and that, and that certainly there's 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 a, a connection there to the diets that people have, and that poverty background, migration background, often has an impact on on the health of of, of young Britons, and it's it's essentially getting worse. It's not really being addressed uh, in in the right way. A lot of the time, it's it's there's hundreds of millions for sports facilities, but it's not really connected to anything. So, oh, we're going to build some playing fields, but there's no like movement to to get them used. They, they have summits against obesity. The, they even talk about the Olympics and how the Olympics was an opportunity to promote healthy living, but actually everything was sponsored by McDonald's and mm-hmm. and Coca Cola and Mars and things like this. So yeah, I mean, it, it does look like the, there's been a problem. There's apparently been 14. Uh, campaigns since around about 1992 with 689 different regulations which just seems confused it's a very confused approach uh, they've tried taxing obviously sugar sugary drinks they've talked about fat taxes this new drive from boris johnson since he's had covid to improve health but i mean again that's kind of gone under the bus with everything else in order to save his job because he won't admit that he's basically a lying scumbag who doesn't deserve to be prime minister of uh, of britain so um, most of these initiatives have been fallen by the wayside i don't know about you mate it felt alarming to read. What's uh, what's your experience of of this this kind of issue? Do you agree with with what it's saying? I mean, it's hard to argue with, surely. Yeah, I mean, the article itself from Spiegel is is not taking the piss. Like, it's, it's very even handed and very analytical in, in in the facts. Obviously, it's really sad that the UK is heading this way because, as you say, the, the core problem isn't rich people overeating foie gras. And fancy stuff is poor people eating fast food too much. Iceland as a supermarket chain is frozen food chain effectively in the UK. Like the, the quality of the food is is very very low nutritionally compared to what you would find in the frozen sections here in our Aldi's, Lidl, Edeka, Raver, and so on. And so yeah, you just have a lot of poor people just eating just bad food. Obviously, you need better education on this. Sugar and salt is not the answer to all of our problems, but. I'm very empathetic to the fact that if you're broke in the UK, one of the few pleasures you can give yourself is a nice Big Mac or some other junk food. It's really, really tragic, though. As for Boris Johnson trying to make the situation better, like, get to fuck. I don't care. It's <laughs> This needs 
to be dealt with in a far more sort of focused way than just pompous like we can do it like go for a run this is a real problem to do with class and structure and education and the thing that the reason i wanted to talk about this at all on the show is that obviously when we read german press they talk about the uk with some regularity party gate has mm. been a, a big story here brexit has been a s- solid part of the news here mm. for six years uh, and of course before the referendum but this is one of the only other times where they talk about something that's not politics and yeah it's just like haha well it's not haha but that's how it felt to me i was like look they're they're bored of punching us <laughs> for brexit now they're pointing out they're all fat and being really stupid about getting fat yeah but at the same time i've i've gained a lot of weight <laughs> during the pandemic so I, I do feel a little bit like seen by this i guess yeah 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 observed perhaps yeah <laughs> the i mean it, it points out that this apparent drive in the summer of 2020 that boris johnson was was talking about the ticking time bomb of obesity and that he, he called for bans on tv advertising for products that were too fatty too salty too sweet and restrictions on offers such as two for the price of one which uh, fair enough but actually the regulations that he wanted to put into place had loads of loopholes because it's all massive companies mm-hmm. probably some of them are donors to the tory party for this particular reason obviously they had the sugar tax that everyone screamed about every company was like it's going to ruin us if we have a sugar tax yeah. we can't make our sweets anymore no one will buy them they're still going concerns there were it's people have accepted it and moved on it's not such a big issue it, has, it does say that actually government can intervene in certain areas but i mean the thing that i think about a lot i wrote about this and i've got a very good friend who who basically outlined why what i was saying when i talk when i've talked about an ep- epidemic of, of obesity that that's a really sort of narrow-minded way of thinking about it because ultimately like body types you know like mm-hmm. everyone 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 should be allowed to live their own lives and do what they want i, I have a fond belief in and it sounds ridiculous the parks and rec quote from um ron swanson where he says i believe that everyone has the right to like eat as much bacon as they want (laughs) until they die of a heart attack you know it's their right and i think there's a truth in that and also the point that you make you know like when you don't have a lot of luxuries in your life chocolate bar here and there Mm -hmm. you know like like food can be that luxury for you if you've got fuck all else yeah you might at least have some chips you know it makes you happy i mean we remember as kids the advert for mccain's chips Mm -hmm. we hope it's chips it's chips you know and that was the refrain throughout the advert but i think there is there's not just Okay, there's maybe people are eating unhealthily, but I think it's it's not only just the education. I think it's perceptions, man. Like, like I've, um, I mean, we talked about me talking about this, and it's difficult to talk about. But like, I've got I've got real issues with food. I've just actually come off a the back of a really bad period of 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 eating binge eating, which is my problem. Mm-hmm. Right? I've had that. Ever since my parents divorced when I was like nine years old, that mm. was how I dealt with my parents' divorce was just to eat and eat. I'd do like horrible things. Like I'd have dinner and eat a lo- half a loaf of bread, you know, like no, for no reason. I wasn't hungry, but it was just like you're filling a hole, right? That can't mm. be filled. And uh, sort of trauma does that to people, I think. And I still have it. I still have that issue when the the chips are down and things are getting hard. You better hide like all the chocolate because I'll just binge. I'll binge and I'll binge at night and I'll not tell anyone about it and I'll 
just feel like shame just shame no. all the time yeah yeah so like that that's basically been about the last four months has been sort of since christmas has been kind of this horrible cycle of feeling sad eating loads of food feeling sadder about it eating loads of food <laughs> like it's really vicious it's a really horrible cycle mm. and and it's very hard to work yourself out of it i've i've got my own mechanisms and ways of dealing with it and getting a grip of things so so it's not it's not currently an issue but it's it's certainly an issue that that i have and i think that's also plays a part in 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 the way we see what is healthy and unhealthy mm-hmm. the expectation and we talk about like sort of the expectations for for women's bodies we can only really talk about the expectations for for men's bodies. I, I don't know the impact on women, although I suspect it's entirely negative when all you see is like thin, slender women. Because it's it's the same feeling I see when I see a copy of Men's Health. Like it makes me feel like really sad. Like it like that's something that really impacts us. Because I'm never going to have washboard abs, you know. Um, buying clothes can be a real trauma sometimes because of my bulk. I've got a lot of because I was so obese for about five, six years, I've got a lot of issues because of that. So uh, I lost, I lost a lot of weight and I, I, I go through these cycles of gaining weight and losing a lot of weight. And what happened, what happens now is like, if I, if I go at the wrong time to try and buy clothes, mm. that just starts the cycle again. Cause I can't fit into anything and it makes it, I can't fit into an XXXL that is depressing. Yeah. Like and 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 when you think about if you go clothes shopping, how much how much of the clothes are designed for for people who are just not not my shape, mm. don't have big chests, they don't have big shoulders. I've got massive rugby player thighs because essentially when I was going through puberty, my body was carrying probably about fifteen stone too much. Mm. <laughs> like at some at some points it was really really bad. And so now I've just got massive legs that are overdeveloped. Like and, and obviously I do a lot of working out and stuff. So so but I've got big chest, big shoulders. I'm trying to get a shirt in my size. Mm. Like there's no sizes that fit me. There's no like cool looking clothes that I can buy. Cause most of the time I have to buy clothes that are blue or black. Cause that's just the options. Mm. Cause I can't wear colourful stuff because the colourful stuff is extra small. Like who the fuck is wearing extra small? <laughs> like an adult. Like fuck that shit. Or like this is this is the bane of my life, and maybe it's just me moaning, right? Buying clothes and you buy a shirt or you buy a t shirt and you put it on and you're like, it's a really cool t shirt, and you're like, this would be great, and it's an XXL, and you put it on, and they've got like lycra fit, slim fit. And you're like, all right, so you just made it skin tight. So you've made this XXL shirt and now you just made me fucking depressed because you're like, <laughs> oh, you, it's, you can't fit into this shirt. And it's like, it's yeah. fucking, it's so, it's so much of a piss take. I think that's the other side of this is it's all well and good saying, well, the British are overweight and they need to do these initiatives and that initiatives. Also, let's like fucking talk about how um, we have like really fucking massive issues with what is a healthy body mm. and what is healthy, what is obese. I would be, I'd be morbidly obese because most of the measurements, the BMI measurements, don't measure measure muscle mass. Mm. So I stand on the scale now, and I'm 120 kilos, but I know I'm not that 120 kilos. Yeah. I know there's a lot of muscle in there, uh, especially since I've started working out. But all you see is 100, 120 mm-hmm. kilos. You don't see. Oh well, actually, Nick, 
you know you're carrying a lot of that weight in your legs because your wet legs are quite massive and okay you got a bit around your gut you could probably lose that i could start to lose 10 kilos and that's the aim right but it's that that feeling you get um where you are yeah you're less than everybody else like i'll i do that in the street i'll see people and i'll be like i'd love to wear something like that but i'll never fit into it mm. i can't i can't wear that i couldn't wear those that that t-shirt or that shirt because it'll never come in my size. And you just sort of, it restricts. And Or even the alternative would be, if I eat any sugar at all, I'm thinking about it. Like, like it's on my mind for the next couple of days. Mm-hmm. Like, how much did I eat? What, how many calories did I ingest? And now in Britain, you've got everything that's got calorie counts on it. Yeah. So I just went to Britain and just didn't look at anything. I just looked and said, I'll have a burger, please, with a <laughs> hand over my face. Just going, oh, yeah, please. Well, of course, this is the result of this of this new program where all food has to have its calorific value advertised mm-hmm. with the price. People just ignore it because, yeah, naturally, it's, it's really sad to hear that shame – and, and those sorts of emotions are so closely attached to food because a lot of the the poor people who are suffering the most of this, they've already got shame coming out their ears because of their situation in life because work is really tough or, or non-existent or benefits or whatever. Shame is the last thing they need more of and saying, are you sure you want that burger that's a 1,000 calories fatty? like poking a stick with the menu like it's just it's oh just yeah brutal. but that happens like yeah, yeah. The, it's sort of the acceptable target is to make fun of someone who's overweight or like it's something that i feel quite strongly about i hate i hate it when people like make fat jokes i hate i hate it when so so this this happens a lot to me and i think it's because of my size because i don't i have days where i think i'm 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 i'm, I'm just the fat kid i was like i see that in the mirror and i can't i can't not i like there's weeks where i won't look at myself in the mirror which is very hard to do my hair in but um (laughs) i just look at my forehead um but there is like seriously i don't want to look at myself in the mirror i go through periods like that and um one of the things you often find within circles of men you'll meet an older older guy who's probably middle-aged spread you know that kind of thing bit of a beer beer belly and you're you maybe you've gained a stone or a couple of stone you're looking at you're looking not maybe as fit as you were the last time you see them and the first comment will always be oh you've gained a bit of weight nick yeah, yeah. like all the time and that and and it it simultaneously makes us like furious like like red mist furious right? really where i would be like liable to do something i would regret and also just so fucking sad no. Like and embarrassed and shamed and I fucking it happens all the time. People touch like touching your stomach. Like I fucking hate that. Wow. And I, you know how I feel about people touching us anyway. Yeah. Like I don't like people I don't know touching us. But other people are like that's happened before. People will grab your stomach and go, Oh, what's this? <laughs> and you're like, Who the fuck are you? Like, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? And it's like and that's happened before and it's happened in the pub, like someone's done that and I was like, What the fuck do you think you're doing? Yeah. And they were like, oh, like, oh, just, just a joke. And I'm like, you're a fucking prick. That's the fucking joke, you know? And and that's something that I think, I think isn't really talked about is that like, it's okay to shame people. Like if somebody who is, or um, is perceived to be overweight wants to eat some fucking chips, shut the fuck up and let them eat some fucking chips. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not the place of other people in the group to sort of, like, if you think there's a problem, there's ways and means 
to to communicate that in the sensitive ways and means but sitting in an environment in front of other people and shaming people isn't the way but that often seems to be the way mm. yeah it's that trash level of banter where it's just i'm just going to be rude about your appearance yeah that's really tough i mean just come back quickly to the you, you mentioned men's health magazines and how there's always some like super ripped like eight pack wearing dude on the front and you said you felt sad i think was the word you used for that mm -hmm. For me, like I find it quite, I, I find positivity there because I'm like I'm not yeah. as insecure as these guys mm -hmm. who have spent years and months trying to be like perfect, and I, I think mm -hmm. it's much more important to be not like satisfied with being like unhealthy, which is where I am at the moment. I do need to work on that, but trying to be an Adonis, I, I think it's just fucking tragic. So unrealistic, right? It's so unrealistic. There's a lot of people who. The, the, their genetics work in their favor you know like take take someone like the rock right <laughs> yeah. the rock the rock has a lot of genetics going for him he does he does a lot of work don't get us wrong because it takes a lot of work to look like that but to sort of you see a lot on facebook and it's often targeted at women where it's like oh i lost this much weight like an unrealistic amount of weight mm. in in 22 days and and by this simple trick take and it's one. all over yeah and it's just like, yeah, I had a tapeworm. Basically, I don't eat, you know, and I do really unhealthy things or I'm on some fucking cleanse or something. There's always some fucking fad that you can sell people because this insecurity will make you do faddy things. Like what I used to go, do you remember when I was like super fucking like rugby big like i could mm -hmm. probably have played in a, in a in a regional rugby team like with, without much of a fucking worry and i was going to the gym five days a week i know actually going six days a week and on the seventh day i was still doing like body weight exercises and i was running um nine kilometers every day and i was like doing all this work and i was still basically the same size I was still just, I was just bigger. My shoulders were bigger. My arms were bigger. Um, but I wasn't, I didn't have a six pack. I didn't lose loads of fat. Like, and it was, it was just this thing of like, oh yeah, if you just do it this way, what you need is a personal trainer. What you need is a nutritionist. What you need is all this stuff. And one of the things that I always think about when I get ready to come out of one of these cycles that I'm in and I'm going to go into some, like trying to sort my head out and go back into becoming healthy is, um, your, um, your friend and ours, Rob McElhenney, uh, mm -hmm. uh, from um, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And he's famous for his choice to make his character look worse yeah. as time went on, and which included him just gaining loads of weight. And then in a later season, losing all that weight and becoming super ripped. And it was part of the joke um, within the sort of storyline. Mm -hmm. But one of the things, one of the best things he ever did was he posted a picture of him when he was sort of at his, 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 his largest. And it's the famous photo of him sort of with dance. his stomach out, yeah. sweating and a dance. And he's like sort of, his stomach's out. Next to the photo of him, super ripped. And this is what he wrote. And I always think about it because it really, it really helps us. Look, it's not that hard. All you need to do is lift weights six days a week. Stop drinking alcohol. Don't eat anything after 7 p.m. Don't eat any carbs or sugar at all, in fact. Just don't eat anything you like. Get the personal trainer from Magic Mike. Sleep nine hours a night. Run three miles a day. And have a studio pay for the whole thing over a six to seven month span. I don't know why everyone's not doing this. It's super realistic lifestyle and appropriate body image to compare oneself to. And it's exactly that I all ever think about. It. And it's like, that's how you get that. Like, when you see... When you see a model with a six pack, 
like they have on men's fitness, nine times out of ten they'll have dehydrated themselves for at least a day and a bit. Mm-hmm. It's what they do to, for weigh-ins as well. Yeah. You know, you look at the weigh-ins for the UFC and how ripped they look, mm-hmm. and then you see them the next day when they're fighting and they don't look as ripped. Yeah. It's because they've dehydrated themselves. That's not fucking healthy. That's not a good way to exist. But they don't put that in men's fitness. They don't say, oh, by the way, all our models dehydrate themselves beforehand so they can look the, the, in their peak condition, and then we oil them, and then we Photoshop <laughs> them. And But it's fine. You can do this if you buy this supplement or you buy this fucking gadget to to help you lose weight it's the same shit over and over again i find i find that the hidden stuff behind it so appalling yeah and yes we do people need to lose weight and people maybe are getting larger but let's not sell them fucking sugar-coated fantasy ideas of how to do that takes work takes eating less takes doing more exercise being aware of what you eat trying to live a healthy lifestyle is exactly that it's a lifestyle it isn't it isn't just 22 weeks and you can fit into your swimsuit, you know? But I mean, to pivot it to where we are now, because obviously here in Germany, like, mm. Germany's not the thinnest nation on earth by any any means, but its obesity levels are significantly lower. But when you look at what goes on the average plate, you wouldn't necessarily say that the food is supremely healthy by comparison. It isn't like Greek or Italian cuisine, which are definitely better for you long term. There's a lot of processed meat. There's a lot of cheese. There's a lot of dairy. Um, there's a lot of cheap pork and there's a lot of potatoes. Like it's not the archetype for a really healthy diet. And yet, like how often walking through any city do you see someone who is like terrifyingly obese? You just don't really see that that level of obesity. I mean, you see it. You see it every so often. But it's, again, yeah. it's the culture, isn't it? Farines, mm-hmm. like. That's something that I was screaming at the, this article when I read it, and it was just like there is a culture here of funded sports clubs. Yeah, they're everywhere for every sport. But Britain's approach is, I oh, will just build some fucking play parks, and people yeah. will do it themselves. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, no, you need mechanisms in place. You need clubs. You need environments to do that. Sport is a big part of not just um, the farine culture, but also like. In general, sort of, how many how many immaculate looking football pitches do you know about in your area? If you look at a map, a Google Maps of a lot of German cities, you'd be like, "There's a football pitch. Mm. There's a really nice football pitch. There's it like, and it's set up. It has posts, and no one's tried to burn them down. <laughs> no one's written asshole in fucking acid on the on the field or something. You know, like they've not been vandalized. There's a lot of uh, free spaces to do sports. There's a lot of woodland areas to do to do body weight sports there's just stuff set up everywhere yeah all around us there's places that i could go to do exercise on my own well from running to body weight exercises to like playing a bit of sport football whatever those really aren't accessible in a lot of places and they're certainly not accessible in the places uh, where where people who shop at farm foods or iceland can can access them Mm. And I think that's 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 something that they really need to consider, and 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 maybe just like being realistic about what what people can achieve if they want to be healthy. Like how does somebody end up looking ripped and super super healthy in inverted commas? Well, it's not actually a very healthy way to approach it. But it's one of the nice things that we do see here in Germany. Like like if you think about the biggest movie stars in Germany, none of them are super ripped. Like they're all like normal body types. Like there's no like there's no the rock 
in Germany. There's no Dave Batista in Germany. They're all just like Till Schweiger. I'm sure he looks much better than I do with his top off, but he's not like some like Jason Statham like piece of iron. Like he's a normal dude who just mm. yeah doesn't seem to care. Doesn't seem to think it's important to look perfect in his movies mm. for his body. And yeah, you got to respect that level of self love, self confidence. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's difficult, but I think it's um, as eye-opening as the article is, it does miss the cultural element that comes with, with being overweight in Britain. Mm-hmm. And I, I imagine there's, there's similar issues in, in Germany. I, I just probably don't observe them in the same way or get as upset about them in the same way. So, Nick, you've got a lovely little daughter, a little bundle of fun, always on her best behaviour, yeah? <laughs> no. Now, of course, she's a human child. <laughs> they can be obnoxious, <laughs> inconsiderate, and really, really loud. At best, erratic. I erratic, think. yeah. That's one of my least favourite words. <laughs> to, especially to describe someone in my near vicinity. Um, and I'm not alone. Like, there's, there's, there's thousands of us. <laughs> And so this takes us to the story of a restaurant in Deerhagen, uh, which is up on the Baltic Sea. And this restaurant has decided that the best way to, to keep their patrons happy is to ban children under the age of 12. So how does that tickle your fancy as someone with a child under 12? Well, I have never been so offended in all my life. <laughs> how dare they? I am going to write to the Times about, I mean, I'm going to write to Süddeutsche Zeitung about this. Um, I mean, it's their fucking restaurant, right? If they want to ban children from being in their restaurant that seems fairly legitimate although i do i do feel like the backlash would not be as open-minded as perhaps <laughs> yeah i think that's probably a fair thing to say we do have the the landlady's side of the story to a certain degree here this is uh ricardo Bibel. it doesn't seem to be her problem she doesn't seem to hate kids maybe she's just using this as an out but she says that guests have complained in the past about badly behaved children, not just there are children here, boo and hiss, uh, just badly behaved ones. And so that's sort of the or- origin of this decision, that she obviously values her patrons who complain about children more than families who will bring in, I imagine, a lower per head spend. I think it's probably a case of just economics for her. I mean, I don't know how much of a loss, a financial loss it is not having kids in the restaurant. I think a lot of couples that don't have kids would find that really appealing. I think it would draw them in more than anything going, all right, we can go to a restaurant where there's no screaming children at any time. I mean, we've had this discussion when we've been in the pub and someone brings their kids in the pub. I always feel micey when I'm drinking in front of a... It's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. Really weird. It's really weird. So on that front, I think it's a good idea. And I think that there is is a reason. And the point she makes, or the, the landlady makes, is that... Often it's not the children that are necessarily at fault. It's the parents that are at fault. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really true. You see some parents will let their kids just do anything they want. There's very little discipline. And I think that's the thing is like have some self-awareness. Like you think your kids are cute. I think my daughter is the cutest thing that's ever existed. But I also appreciate that the people who have no contact with her <laughs> and never met her might find her really irritating. Like I'm not so blinded with with love that I, I could assume that everyone feels the same way. But you see parents, like even at the play park, you see 
kids just like running around doing whatever they want which is fine but then you'll see them interacting or they'll do stuff like my daughter takes often takes sand toys like shovels and like beach toys essentially to to the park to play in the sand pit and i'll rock up i'll give her the tools i'll turn around i'll turn back and some kids some other kids got them mm-hmm. and the mother's just going ha ha isn't this funny mm-hmm. i'm like give give my daughter a fucking shovel back you fucking prick <laughs> Like that's honestly why I won't say that. But I'm like looking at them going like, Are you fucking mental? Like, honestly, you're not gonna like say, No, that's not your toy, give it back to the small child. Mm. Um I mean there's other instances where like they'll be playing in the playhouse and I'll go to get her to take her away and I'll say, Is this my um shussel or or, or whatever the thing is? She likes bowls and spoons she likes to pretend she's making uh, sand cooking is what she says right <laughs> so it's really sweet and 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 there's been interactions where i've had kids and I, can i get that back and they're like yeah and they tidy it up and they give it to you and they're really well behaved and they're really nice and then there's other times where the kid just runs off hmm. and you're like so and the parents just going oh oh little lucas always does that and i'm like <laughs> How about how about I kick you in the face and I pretend that little, little Lucas always causes that? You know, <laughs> like it's it's honestly just unnerving. And I think in these environments, like restaurants, I've always thought probably a better without kids. Like there's family restaurants. Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. There is. You have choices. Um, and yeah, a, a fish restaurant in Rugen. Like that's that's not necessarily obviously families go to Rugen and have a very nice time, but. It is more of a elderly person holiday destination. <laughs> yeah. And these people are going to complain about your kids. And it's worked. <laughs> Frau Beevil has said, okay, yeah, I can't, I'm can't. i bored of these complaints. I'm going to kick out the kids. This is, this is from uh, Makua.de, and, it, and it's um, a quote from uh, the landlady. who said, we were fully booked. Regulars sat at a table next to a couple from Munich. He was a doctor around 50. His child was three. After he covered our walls with crayons, he walked barefoot up and down the table with sandy legs and threw pasta with tomato sauce against the wall. And I'm like, if my daughter did that, mm. I'd just take her out of the restaurant. I'd apologize and take her out of the restaurant. Because like, what kind of, what are you saying to that kid like in that moment? Oh, yeah, like you can exist in the world and do whatever the fuck you want and you don't need to think about anyone else. That's like a teachable moment. Where were these people from again? Uh, Munich, of course. Uh, <laughs> it's surprising, <laughs> isn't it? Surprising <laughs> that people from Munich might be lacking in self-awareness and totally up their own ass. <laughs> oh, and he's a doctor as well. How how surprising. Um, no, it's not fair. He's, he's way too busy to raise his, raise his child and teach it. I know plenty of doc- doctors who have children in their bloody good parents this one in particular is in fairness they're not from munich but that does say say a lot i don't like i don't want my child writing on my walls in fucking crayon like i'd be mortified if they did it in someone else's house mortified if they did it in a restaurant or something like that Mm. i'd be like yeah i'll be back tomorrow to paint over (laughs) get me i'll get the paint what color is it we're back to your shame gland and obviously your shame (laughs) gland is is a bit over no i mean i don't feel but i feel like this is justified shame right this is oh yeah it's totally justified justified. the other one but but obviously you feel um, you you, you're aware of how shame feels and you feel it you're yeah it affects you and there is people who've got these tiny tiny shame glands absolutely no shame yeah it twitches and they're like what was that and they just carry on i mean britishness i think is one factor (laughs) because yeah (laughs) i I couldn't handle this would you be more inclined to go to a restaurant if it had a no children policy 
Like you, you've got the, the choice of five restaurants, and one of them doesn't have t- have kids. Yeah, yeah. If it was, I mean, I don't, I don't search for <laughs> adult only experiences or anything like that. But if uh, if there was a filter on Google Maps when you put in like restaurant near me, and one of them was like ad- adults only or no children, yeah, I'd, I'd tick that box. I would. Kids, kids are fine. I don't want to like say like don't be a parent or anything, but I, I'm sensitive to to unwanted noise. I, I would I'd pay <laughs> I'd pay ten percent extra to know that it's going to be a calm environment. I mean, there's there's been instances where there's two instances where I was I got really angry about the reaction to someone's kids. One of them was my niece. We went to like one of these very upper middle class tea rooms that that are next to a national trust place mm-hmm. and my niece got a leg caught in in one of the sort of one of the sections for the child's chair and she started crying and all the fucking elderly upper class people were turning around snooty faced going not of course they're british so they're not saying anything but saying like that, yeah. pulling faces and my brother and, and i and my brother was getting more and more irate to the point that i think someone tutted and we both turned around and was like we looked at them and we we're just like go on do it do it again tut again please we'd love it like you'll love to see the reaction because that's just it's just off the charts in those situations but mm. or on a plane like a small child crying on a plane and then you get some like again some it's usually a snooty bloke going oh 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 we're like whoa can't you keep that child quiet and i've had that interaction and i, and I was sitting next to a guy who's tutting and i was like what do you want to do like do you want to do you want to take the kid mm. like seriously he was making so much of a fuss about it he was asking the, the, the stewards if they would do something and the stewards was like well what do you want us to do it's like the, ear, the, the child's ears have popped the child's like like almost one pain. years old yeah, yeah like get over it the, the flight's an hour if you can't handle this then why the <laughs> hell are you on a plane like why did you go to an airport and it's just like it's this expectation that like kids can be turned on and off I don't think that's realistic but not letting them into a restaurant certainly is and I wouldn't have a problem with it, really. Yeah, I, I think you have to play play to your audience. And if one, if parents being like, kids aren't allowed. Okay, we'll go next door. Is that's the the worst of your? I mean, you might, are they going to be some shouty parents for sure? A lot of entitled people. But if you're running some like fancy yeah. fish restaurant where you're charging like twenty a meal, like a lot of cashmere jumpers. <laughs> that's exactly it. I want to wear my cashmere jumper yeah, yeah. and eat this. Eat this sturgeon in peace, please. Mammoth insulated rain jackets. Don't yeah. step on my Jack Wolfskin. I think this is fancy. This is Rugen, mate. There's no Jack Wolfskin. Oh, really? Have a, have, a, have, a, have a bold under there, have a? Oh, well. I mean, they'd be getting some side eye, but like, are you sure you can afford the bill here, sir? <laughs> <laughs> this is Deer Hagen. <laughs> but I've got my bro. Sorry, Deer Hagen. <laughs> Hello zusammen. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also give us some star ratings on Spotify, so chuck us some feedback on there as well. Also, I believe there's something or other on Google Podcasts. I should probably know by now, but but I don't. But if you use Google Podcasts, go find out if you can rate us, and if you feel so inclined, email me to let me know. 
Anyway, retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag decadesfromhome or lowercase on Twitter or Instagram. You can also support the podcast by going to ko-fi.com slash decadesfromhome. We're continuing to post links to support Ukraine and the millions of refugees fleeing the war, so if you have some time, please take a look and, if possible, donate to support them. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Simon on at decadesfromhome, and you can tweet me at 40%German. You can also get us on 40%german at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%german.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis next to mal. Tschüss. Elon Musk. He is the best. Elon Musk. He is the best.